WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 3rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine today, high 46. Tonight and overnight, the clouds roll in low 36. And then Thursday morning, morning clouds, afternoon sun, high 44. If you are walking out the door with us right now, 32 partly cloudy in Harrison up in Westchester County. It is 30 and partly cloudy in Eatontown down in New Jersey. And it is 33 and some scattered clouds outside our Midtown studios right now. We are amping up. The weather center as this uh, storm might be coming our way this weekend that, if it does, could drop a significant amount of snow that we have not seen really in years. Do you, the last, you know, last year, we only got like two inches of snow total during the entire winter. So this thing potentially could be big. But then you know how these things work. It also could end up being completely nothing. But we're going to get ready for it. So we talked with a chief meteorologist at the National Weather Service to set up this storm. When is it going to come? How much snow will it bring if it does any of this? A part of the system that's out in the North Pacific right now that's actually going to come across the um, the West Coast and then gradually move across the southern U.S. into the end of the week. And by Friday, it's actually going to spawn a new low pressure along the Gulf Coast. And that system is the one that's going to track across the southeast and towards the mid-Atlantic coast uh, by Saturday night, and that's the one that would eventually give us um, this precipitation chance. All right, so now we have the timeline. Friday, it moves in. Saturday night, maybe, is when the snow starts to fall. So uh, how much are we going to get? And the probabilities right now are favoring a higher higher amount of wintry precipitation north and west of the city versus the city itself, but that doesn't necessarily mean the city couldn't see uh, so, so some snowfall there. It's just we don't know how much yet. It's a little too early to get specific with any uh, any amount. Yeah, but we want answers. You know, he's not going to give us those because they just don't know yet. They're looking at the weather model. Today's Wednesday. Maybe by Thursday, Friday, we'll get a better sense of uh, whether this is going to happen or not. There's a lot of players that play here, and you know, any sort of change one way uh, with the track or intensity could change, uh, you know, precipitation types or amounts. It's just a little too early to say for sure, but we do have increasing confidence that this will happen in the sense that there will be a storm system. We just don't know the, de- the specific details yet. It's All right. a little too early. As the details come in, of course, keep it here. 77 WABC will have the latest. Uh, and as we get a better sense and hold of what this storm will bring, of course, we'll bring that to you. Last night, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez found out he's facing now additional federal criminal charges. In a new superseding indictment returned Tuesday, officials accused Menendez of making positive comments about Cutter in exchange for expensive items, including luxury wristwatches. Menendez and his wife Nadine are charged with accepting cash, gold bars, and a Mercedes from three businessmen in exchange for political favors. The senator, a top Democrat and former chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, is also accused of acting as an agent for the Egyptian government. He had pleaded not guilty to all prior counts. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. All right, let's go overseas. Uh, That earthquake hit Japan New Year's Day. The death toll continues to rise. We're getting a number of 55. I'm sure it will go higher. This powerful magnitude 7.6 earthquake hit western Japan first day of the year. Megan Fitzgerald, reporter, says there's just a ton of destruction. Homes and buildings flattened. Private roads and streets buckled. Some neighbors returning to their home to get a first look at what the devastation looks like for them. So we're being told thousands of buildings damaged, officials warning of more quakes possibly to come. More than 100 aftershocks have already been recorded. In response to Monday's quake, Japan's prime minister has dispatched a 1,000 soldiers to disaster zones to help in the rescue efforts. Officials say this really is a race against time for crews that are digging through the rubble trying to find survivors. All right, while we're overseas, Israel says it'll withdraw several thousand troops now from the Gaza Strip. The biggest withdrawal since the war began after Hamas's terror attacks inside Israel on October 7th which killed 1,200 people and captured more than 200 hostages. In Tel Aviv, NBC News' Brad Bradley says the IDF making the announcement, noting the nearly three-month war has taken a growing toll on the Israeli economy. According to the United Nations, more than 85% of Gaza's residents have been displaced from their homes, and the fighting has left more than 20,000 dead. Nearly 22,000 Palestinians killed, according to the Hamas-run Ministry of Health in the Gaza Strip, most of them civilians. We're now seeing conflicts between the United States and Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. Yeah, so it continues to be a mess, and it continues to play out on the streets of New York City, the tri-state, the country for that matter. Of course, we had those protests on New Year's Day, pro-Palestinian protesters at JFK Airport, making it a nightmare for people trying to either get out of New York or get back in New York after the holiday. And then yesterday, we were hearing about these uh, synagogues that were receiving tons of bomb threats. These were all in California, a dozen synagogues receiving threats in San Diego alone, six synagogues threatened Tuesday after someone sent messages which read a bomb was hidden in those buildings. Here's a woman who works at one of those synagogues. I wish I could say I was shocked by it. I'm not, and and this has been ongoing for some time, and the Jewish community has been living with these sorts of, really what I would call emotional terrorism. So the good news here is there was nothing to this, but of course the authorities have to take this for real, so do the people who work in those synagogues. Um, Some 91 total Jewish houses Houses of worship received similar threats yesterday. And while most of these are hoaxes, and we know that, we take these things seriously. We have an infrastructure to assure the security of the community, and we'll continue to make those investments. Yes, so authorities say they continue to investigate what are essentially these swatting incidents that are almost impossible to figure out who's behind them because they're done online. Lots of times it's done overseas. It's rare that they catch someone who's behind these. Uh, It's the same sort of swatting incident that have been happening to uh, con- uh, members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, by the way. Then you had that woman up in Maine who uh, took uh, the Secretary of State, who took uh, Donald Trump off the ballot. She's received it as well. Uh, so we've been getting just a ton of them. But again, they're almost impossible to catch the people who are behind them. WABC News Time 509. We were watching on yesterday as members of a migrant caravan clinging to the side of a train nicknamed the Beast, which is making its way towards the Texas border town of El Paso. The county commissioner says there that they're prepping for 
for this influx of asylum seekers. We're able to take care of it. You know, I understand that there may be more folks coming, but I believe that we're going to be okay. He says they're moving migrants out quickly after they arrive. This group is apparently trying to arrive in Texas before this controversial new law goes into effect. It allows local cops to arrest anyone they think crossed the border illegally. It's already faced legal challenges from the White House. We're not at capacity right now. And if we need to flex, we can house up to 2,200 people a night with all the capacity that we have. There, the county commissioner again, his name's David Stout, says they have plans in place. They can handle a caravan of large size, but uh, they continue to be overwhelmed. If the caravan is really big, you know, we may have to work with some of our counterparts on the other side of the border to make sure that they're taken care of before they get in line and come across. That taking place is House Speaker Mike Johnson in South Texas in order to get a first-hand look at the surge of illegal immigration. Border Patrol Union spokesman Art DeQuayo says that Congress just needs to act already. Every single year that this administration has been in office, the numbers keep going bigger and bigger. When the Speaker visits Texas today, he'll be joined by about five dozen members of his party. The GOP looking to make the border a big part of their push to win back the White House and uh, their majorities in Congress. Every year is a new record number, and frankly, every month and every week is a new record number. You're seeing way too many individuals that are coming across from all over the world. Yeah, so uh, that is Border Patrol Union spokesman Art Del Cuello, who says the arrests uh, that they've been making don't tell the whole story. There is also a record number of gotaways, and he says he worries about them. That taking place as four ports of entry at the southern border are going to reopen tomorrow. Federal officials say they will reopen ports that had previously been closed due to a record influx of migrants. The points of entry are located in Eagle Pass, Texas, San Ysidro, California, Lukeville, Arizona, and Nogales, Arizona. Officials say there's been significant improvement in the number of migrant encounters in Eagle Pass and that closing the border is only used as a last resort. I'm Mark Mayfield. A Chinese foreign exchange student who was the victim of a cyber kidnapping has now been found alive in Utah. Tony Waterman says officials found him in a tent in freezing temperatures. He had isolated himself in a rural part of Utah, manipulated by his remote kidnappers into believing he'd be injured if he didn't do as they said. Police say he took pictures of his own captivity and his parents were scammed out of $80,000 in ransom money. Utah police say a number of foreign students have fallen prey to cyber kidnapping in recent months, where victims are tricked into holding themselves captive by remote kidnappers who monitor them through video. Yeah, crazy story. WABC News Time 512, the Catholic Church in Hungary won't follow the Vatican's new rule, allowing priests to bless same-sex unions in Budapest, Pablo Guterres says church leaders have issued guidance to parishes in the nation to avoid these blessings. The new guidance was issued in December and permits blessings, but not during regular church rituals. But Hungarian bishops have instructed priests not to bless same-sex couples. They say that such blessings contradict God's law and the teachings of the church. Bishops in more than a dozen countries have openly rejected the new policy, refusing to allow same-sex blessings in their diocese. 
Pablo Gutierrez, Budapest. All right, let's bring it home. Upstate New York, New York Republican Congressman Elise Stefanik cheering the resignation of Harvard University President Claudine Gay. She put out a letter uh, signifying her resignation yesterday about 1.30 in the afternoon. We have seen a failure of leadership from Claudine Gay, a failure of moral leadership, but also a failure of academic integrity. Stefanik says the resignation long overdue as Gay faced mounting allegations of plagiarism and a controversy over anti-Semitism. This is long overdue. It should not have taken the Harvard Corporation Board this long to demand her resignation. And Stefanik suggesting that Congress won't stop there. They'll press for more resignations at other universities. As we continue our congressional investigation, we will uncover what will be the greatest scandal in higher education, abject failure in that congressional testimony and their failure to protect Jewish students. As we continue our congressional investigation, we will uncover what will be the greatest scandal in higher education. Stefana called Gay's answers to her questions. You remember in that congressional moment in December, morally bankrupt and suggested she would not stop pressing for more resignations, including from members of the Harvard Corporation Board, which is their board of trustees. 514, SpaceX marking its first launch of what promises to be a really busy year for them. Three, two, one ignition and lift off the Falcon 9. A Falcon 9 rocket launched last night from California's Vandenberg Space Force Base, sending 21 Starlink satellites into orbit. But not all of the satellites were alike. The launch featured six first-of-their-kind satellites with direct-to-cell capabilities. SpaceX says this will allow mobile network operators around the world to provide seamless global access to texting, calling, and browsing. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Hump Day. Good morning, Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Alladum. Start locally on the hardwood last night. The Nets returned to the court only to get routed by the Pelicans uh, in New Orleans by a score of 112 to 85. It was the fewest points the Nets have scored this season and the fewest the Pelicans have allowed. Brooklyn shot a season worst, 35.7%. That's 35 for 98 while losing their fourth straight contest, a microcosm of how the night went. Brooklyn's Camp Thomas entered the game, averaging a team leading 22.4 points per game, missing all, he, or he did miss, all 11 of his shots last night. He did not register a single point. Tonight, the Nets are right back out there to try and rebound. They'll be in Houston to take on the Rockets at 8 p.m. As for the Knicks, they'll be in action as well, getting set to welcome in the Chicago Bulls for an 8.30 p.m. tip-off. On the ice, the Rangers suffered a 6-1 beatdown in Carolina at the hands of the Hurricanes. Chris Kreider scored the lone goal for the Rangers, who have still only lost 10 times this season at 25-10-1 overall, despite now seven of those losses coming by three goals or more. In Colorado, the Islanders played the Avalanche a bit closer to the best, albeit still falling by a score of 5-4 thanks to a Nathan McKinnon overtime winner. Brock Nelson had a goal and an assist, and Ilya Sorokin had 23 saves in relief of Varlamov for the shorthanded Isles. Pierring ball, uh, Alexander Romanov and Simon Holstrom also scored for New York, which has lost eight of its last nine games out in Denver. Tonight, uh, the doubles return to the ice in Washington, gearing up for a 7.30 p.m. puck drop against the Capitals.
That's Sports Note, and I'm Justin Alec on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 519. To think I was blaming Joe Nolan this whole time. Investigators say the motive behind a deadly New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Eve crash in Rochester, New York, still remains unknown. Investigators are still combing through evidence recovered from his vehicle, but nothing thus far has been recovered that provides any additional insight into why this occurred. Yes, if you weren't following this accident, Police Chief David Smith there says the accident involved three vehicles, one of which exploded. First responders found at least a dozen canisters of gas in and around the car that exploded, which led investigators to look into the matter as potential terrorism. Officials say 35-year-old Michael Avery was killed in the crash. There's no evidence it was part of a larger plot. Two others were killed. Nine were injured in this crash. It happened early Monday after a concert. We have not uncovered any information leading us to believe that the actions of Michael Avery on New Year's Eve were motivated by any form of political or social biases. We've not been able to identify that there was anyone else involved in the crime or that it was part of a larger plot. Yeah, but they still haven't put together why all those gas canisters were there. Former President Trump's legal team appealing that ruling by the main secretary of state that he's ineligible to appear on the state's GOP primary ballot. In the appeal, Trump called Secretary of State Shanna Bellows a biased decision maker and claimed she didn't have the legal authority to remove him from the ballot. Trump's attorney said in the appeal that her ruling was a product of a process infected by bias and pervasive lack of due process. Bellows was targeted in a swatting incident, and she's received numerous threats since last week's announcement. She said neither politics or her personal views played a role in the move. I'm Mark Mayfield. A new poll, meanwhile, shows more than a third of Americans believe President Biden was not legitimately elected back in 2020. The Washington Post University of Maryland survey found 36 percent of respondents said Joe Biden was not legitimately elected president, compared to 62 percent who believe he was. Along party lines, 91 percent of Democrats believe the 2020 election was legitimate, while just 31 percent of Republicans agreed. The poll comes just days before the three-year anniversary of the 2021 Capitol riot when supporters of former President Trump stormed the Capitol to try to stop the certification of Biden's election win. I'm Michael Kastner. 521 car enthusiasts in California celebrating this huge victory after a state law is lifting the ban on low riding, you know, cruising. One low rider enthusiast says it's a big deal to a lot of people and ending what some feel to be just downright discrimination. Cruising is our lifestyle. It's our culture. It's uh, it's our life. It's our livelihood. New Year's 2024, midnight, we were able to take that law and, and throw it in the trash. Such a big part of California culture. To give, it gives the okay for car fanatics to enjoy a stroll on their decked out vehicles. More than 200 low riders gathering along Whittier Boulevard in East L.A. to share their passion and celebrate this victory that now they can be out there low riding again. Sometimes when I'm stressed out, I'll go, jump in my car, turn on my sounds, and it relaxes me. It's just the way it is. Yeah, low rider culture was developed by Mexican-Americans in Southern California after World War II. New technology may help detect earthquakes before the ground even shakes. The company Q. CTRL has created technology that uses atom lasers and particles of light to detect changes in the Earth's magnetic fields. The tool is called quantum sensing. There have been studies that show that the changes of gravity can arrive almost a minute earlier 
than the actual physical shaking of the earth, which is transmitted like sound. Well, minutes of a lot of time. Michael Biorchek, he's the uh, CEO of this company, says with a new kind of gravity detector, it's possible to give even earlier warning that seismographs, which register only after the shaking begins, technology still in development, and the company's working closely with the U.S. Geological Survey. Many travelers looking beyond mainstay European cities for trips in 2024 is interest in major Asian hubs and off-beaten path locales in Europe has surged now. Tokyo, Japan, and Seoul, South Korea are ranked as number one in two trending international hotspots next year among U.S.-based travelers, according to the travel app Hopper. Kayak data shows a similar trend. Its top five hotspots are in Asia. Hong Kong, Shanghai, Taipei City, Tokyo, and Osaka, Japan all make the list. People are also liking off-the-beaten-path locales in Europe. Stockholm, Budapest, Helsinki, and Prague rank 7th to 10th on Kayak's list of trending destinations abroad. Experts say many seasoned travelers feel Paris, Rome, London, and Barcelona are just too crowded and overpriced. WABC News on 524. A medical discovery from the University of California, San Diego, could spell the end of acne. Researchers at UC San Diego say they've created a vaccine that may May end acne. Dr. George Liu is associated with UCSD's Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases. He told NBC7 researchers have targeted a key component that drives acne and the vaccine attacks it. He says this vaccine may be on the market in five to ten years. I'm Bree Tennis. Fidelity marking down the value of X shares Twitter by over 70% since Elon Musk's takeover. The investment firm decreased its valuation of X by more than 10% just in November, according to a recent filing. The social media company faced multiple scandals at the end of 2023, including Elon Musk appearing to endorse a post promoting an anti-Semitic conspiracy. That led to major companies pulling ad money from the platform. I'm Lisa Taylor. WABC News Time 525. One popular New Year's resolution is to get married in 2024, but wedding experts predict a slowdown this year, thanks in part to inflation. In the trends over the years, when interest rates go up, inflation goes up, weddings you know, tend to become either more conservative or fewer. Wedding planner Tracy French there says that one trend she's watching this year are events that are adults only. This is one way couples have found to cut costs and still throw a wedding. You know, 22 was really a big booking season, and so was 23. I think it's going to be more average for 24. Yeah, she says that couples normally pay for a wedding with credit cards, but of course interest rates remain high, and she says that may affect her business as well. I think things are going to kind of taper off to a more normal, the pre-pandemic normal. And when we're talking about resolutions, uh, fitness, of course, that continues to be one of the top New Year's resolutions. It always is. Fitness buff Shayla Madison says in fitness, consistency wins. Day one's not going to feel good. Day 10 might not feel good. But eventually you'll be at day 50, day 100, and you'll be like, wow, I really did that. According to Forbes Health New York, uh, New Year's resolutions, 48% of Americans plan to improve their fitness, making it the most popular of all the resolutions this year. And personal trainers all across the country hope to benefit from that. Even in your home, just start working out at your house until you feel comfortable enough. Find a friend and come here. Yeah, so personal trainer Bradley Paradis says a lot of people don't come in to exercise at all. People don't come in at all. So when it comes to January, I love the resolutioners when they come in. It's a nice breath of fresh air because, you know, they want to do something.
Yeah, and he says the big part, the hardest part, of course, is getting people to continue to come in after the first few times. Some lucky winner or winners will be starting off the new year hundreds of millions of dollars richer after Monday's Powerball drawing. Grand Blank Michigan Township Supervisor Scott Bennett says it is excited that the winner, it seems, of this latest jackpot, $842 million, came from their community. My phone started ringing early this morning with uh, friends and uh, family saying, hey, did you see the news? And and uh, I, I saw it immediately and uh, thought this is great for our community. A single winning ticket was sold at the Food Castle in Grand Blanc, worth that $842 million. Should they take the cash option, it still works out to a lot of money, $425 million. Hopefully it's a local winner is what everybody's uh, pulling for. Yeah, and the guy who owns Food Castle, uh, he was pretty surprised that he sold a winning ticket. He'll cash in, too. The lottery gives him some money as well. Usually you hear about these things happening in other states, you know. It's great for the community. I think it's going to be, hopefully it's somebody that... Uh going to spend some of that money here. Yeah, we'll have to see if the person comes forward anytime soon. The opening bell rings this morning, ushering in day two of the first trading week of the year. Wall Street closed mostly lower on Tuesday with the Nasdaq down sharply to start off the holiday-shortened trading week. Tech stocks led to the decline with uh, Apple, Microsoft, and NVIDIA all losing ground. But at the closing bell, the Dow gained 25 points. S&P 500 fell 27. The Nasdaq dropped 245 points. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 3rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine today, high 46. Tonight and overnight, the clouds roll in low 36. And then Thursday, morning clouds, afternoon sun, high 44. We are tracking that winter storm that is expected to move into the area Saturday night into Sunday. And the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about it at this early stage if and how much snow it may dump on us. But as soon, of course, as those details come in, we'll pass them on to you. If you are walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 32, partly cloudy in Harrison up in Westchester County. It's 30 and partly cloudy in Eatontown down in New Jersey. And 33 and clear outside our Midtown studios. We'll start this half hour in the Hudson Valley with a woman named Goldie Lichter. She is a 22-year-old Orthodox Hasidic woman who yesterday won her court fight uh, as her mother tried to have her involuntarily hospitalized. And, you know, this is a very insular community in the Hudson Valley. We don't know a ton about them. But Goldie Lichter, going to court, says that she recalled memories of being sexually abused as a child and being trafficked by a relative. And she says ever since she voiced what had happened to her a number of years ago, she says her family has had to try tried to have her committed to an institution. My mother is trying to have me institutionalized in a psychiatric hospital because she wants everyone to believe that I'm crazy for making up allegations of sexual abuse. When in reality, it happened, and she just wants me to keep quiet about it. 
Frida Lichter, who is Goldie's mother, filed this 16-page court petition to have her daughter committed to a psychiatric ward after Goldie Lichter said she had recovered these memories of being sexually molested as a child and trafficked. Lichter uh, identified her alleged abuser yesterday, but we're not revealing the name since no criminal charges have been filed against this person. An advocate for members of the Hasidic community who have been sexually molested, some of those people showed up at this court hearing yesterday saying this is a new tactic by families to keep their loved ones quiet by these false allegations, this is what he claims, against people like Goldie Lichter. I think the community has a a, a very serious and deeply rooted interest in trying to pretend like sexual abuse doesn't exist within it. If her family is successful in this that it's going to become a template for other people who are accused to do the same thing. Now, Lichter's mother testified yesterday after the judge closed the courtroom to all spectators, including the media. Then in the afternoon, the court was waiting for a psychiatrist to turn up to testify. When that witness did not appear, the judge dismissed the request for hospitalization. Here was Goldie, the 22-year-old. I'm so happy the case was dismissed. There's no evidence that I am crazy or I'm a danger to myself. You know, and I watched this video closely. It was like seeing if there any signs of somebody who maybe has lost their marbles. Doesn't seem like that was the case. Lichter's mother, she did speak outside the courtroom briefly after the case was dismissed. And this fight ensued as she started to speak with people trying to shout her down, saying that she was doing an awful thing to her daughter, daughter by trying to have her committed just because she had made these allegations of sex abuse in their family. Uh, here's a little bit of what it sounded like outside the courtroom yesterday in what was kind of a crazy scene. I want to say that I love Goldie. I hope she's going to get the help she needs. I know that I did everything I could to help my daughter, and I know that I did everything I could to help her. Now it's Tell us what you did for her before you wanted to have her put away against her own will. Shame on you. Yeah, so uh, Asher Lovey, who was one of the advocates who was there to support this 22-year-old, has reached out to me, by the way, a number of times to tell his story and to support other victims of what he says of sex abuse within the insular Hasidic community, not only in the Hudson Valley, but here in the city. WABC News Time 539. Let's go up to the Hudson Valley. Hundreds of people paying their respects last night to the victims of Saturday's murder-suicide at a pair of services at St. Francis of Assisi and West Nyack last night. All four members of the Morgan family were part of that church for nearly a decade. To see the hurt and the pain so deep, it was hard. So many people knew the family and loved them and had such great experiences of them. You know, so it's a tragic thing and it's being felt. If you haven't followed this story, Clarkstown Police reported to the Morgan's New City home on Saturday for a welfare check. They discovered Bronxville Police Sergeant Watson Morgan shot his wife and his sons, who were 12 and 10, before turning the weapon on himself. Uh, the church that they belong to had two counselors on hand last night, including one specifically for children needing support after this murder-suicide. The more we love somebody, the more we care about them. When they leave us, the pain is harder and harder. So I, I think for the parish, this is a tough pain. St. Francis is probably one of the kindest, most loving places I've ever been. And I hope that the Morgan family felt that when they were here because we felt that way about them. Friends of the Morgan family, the Clarkstown Central School District, 
uh, the church, the town of Clarkstown, the Clarkstown Police Department, going to hold a candlelight vigil for the family tonight at Germans Park. That's in West Nyack starting at 6 o'clock. Mayor Adams upping his ante in his game of high-stake poker with Texas Governor Greg Abbott over the busing of thousands of migrants coming here to the city, some 4,000 a month now. Adams exploring the possibility of sending the NYPD to thwart Abbott's latest ploy of dumping migrants at New Jersey train stations to avoid the mayor's executive order that limits the hours buses can arrive. Now, buses can arrive between 8 and noon, Monday to Friday. And so uh, he's accusing Governor Abbott of sending these buses to New Jersey in off hours to places like Secaucus to the train station there and then putting migrants on those trains into New York. Uh, so uh, the mayor pushing back against this yesterday during his Q&A with reporters, Deputy Mayor Fabian Levin, uh, Levy likened um, Governor Abbott to the Joker in the dark night. Here he explains. There's a line in it that some men can't be reasoned with or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Greg Abbott is that man. Yeah. So Marsha Kramer, the great reporter from CBS, she was uh, sitting in the crowd, well, in the crowd, in the scrum of reporters yesterday who were asking Q&A, and she asked the mayor, she said, what can you do if the governor is sending buses to New Jersey to violate your order to get on trains? Is there anything you can do to stop it? Have you thought about the idea of sending NYPD police officers to stop the buses from letting people off at these places in New Jersey? We're dealing with a bully right now, (laughs) and everything is on the table that conforms with the law. Our legal team at Corp Council and uh, my special counsel here, uh, they have spent the entire holiday weekend looking at every option that is available to us. The mayor said he's also asking officials at every New Jersey community with a train or bus station to issue executive orders similar to his that there would be confirmed hours that these migrants can arrive. He also asked New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy to join his crusade. Lisa Zornberg, she is the chief counsel to the mayor. She spoke out during this press conference yesterday as well. What Texas is doing is bonkers. They have tried to shut off communication so that we have ghost buses, buses that are arriving en masse any time of day, any time of night, on the weekends when we are least able as a city to staff and meet any emergent needs of people coming off the buses. All right, so they were all slamming Governor Abbott at this press conference yesterday, the governor of Texas, with spokesman for Governor Abbott firing back last night, calling Mayor Adams a hypocrite, adding that the mayor also took to busing migrants, sending them to various upstate towns and cities, sort of like what he's doing. That is, um, people in New Jersey at these commuter stations, New Jersey Transit and the like, notice that these uh, migrants were showing up. They saw them. There's got to be a better way to do what they're doing because you can't just pick up migrants from one place and send them here without notify anyone. I just don't understand how you, you, you have one state just putting 800 people on a bus flight or whatever and just shipping them somewhere. Like, yeah, who does that? Yeah, so there wasn't so much problem with bringing them to the train, uh, train stations, but they felt like they were being taken advantage of, these migrants. To me, as a taxpayer, like, if I'm paying for somebody who I think is going to hopefully be a contributing member of society, then, like, I'm all for it, but then they're going to have to pay taxes, too. That wouldn't bother me. I'd be okay with that. I don't think it should be an issue of anybody taking the migrants. I think they need to be fixing it at the border. 
then we wouldn't have this issue. They should have basically at the end of the day started preparing some place for them and everyone should share the burden if they're going to be taking all these people in. Some of the commuters at New Jersey train stations yesterday who saw some of these migrants being put on the platforms and then trained into the city. Governor Hochul backing Mayor Adams uh, says that the mayor did the right thing by restricting migrant bus arrival times in the city to better help with the migrant surge. Again, 4,000 migrants at least a month now coming to New York City. You know, it may be necessary for our neighboring states to do the same. I mean, if the The governor of Texas is going to spend his nights trying to thwart uh, our rules in our our city. Uh, Then we'll find other ways to address it. All right, 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Layden. Starting locally on the hardwood last night, the Nets returned to the court only to get routed by the Pelicans in New Orleans. By a score of 112 to 85, it was the fewest points the Nets have scored this season and the fewest the Pelicans have allowed. Brooklyn shot a season worst 35.7% while losing their fourth straight contest. A microcosm of how the night went, Brooklyn's Cam Thomas entered the game averaging a team leading 22.4 points per game. He missed all 11 of his shots last night and did not register a single point. Tonight, the Nets are right back out there to try and rebound. They'll be in Houston to take on the Rockets at 8 p.m., as for the Knicks, they'll be in action as well, getting set to welcome in the Chicago Bulls for an 8.30 p.m. tip-off. On the ice, the Rangers suffered a 6-1 beatdown in Carolina at the hands of the Hurricanes. Chris Kreider scored the lone goal for the Rangers, who have still only lost 10 times this season at 25-10-1 overall, despite now seven of those losses, coming by three or more goals. In Colorado, the Islanders played the Avalanche a bit closer to the vest, albeit still falling by a score of 5-4, thanks to a Nathan McKinnon overtime winner. Brock Nelson had a goal and an assist, and Ilya Sorokin had 23 saves in relief of Semyon Varlamov for the shorthanded Isles. Pierre Engvall, Alexander Romanov, and Simon Holmstrom also scored for New York, which has lost eight of its last nine games out there in Denver. Tonight, the Devils return to the ice in Washington, gearing up for a 7.30 p.m. puck drop against the Capitals. What's going on with your Eagles? Are they going to sit everybody for this game against the Giants on Sunday? Um, I mean, listen, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm of the ilk that uh, I want things. If you think they've hit rock bottom, I want them to go 30 feet deeper. I want it to get as bad as possible. So you want them to play everybody? Yeah. So that yeah, I just I just want it, I want it to be on full display for every for the world to see, so that they're forced into making some serious changes. Were you at that Arizona game? No. No, of course not. I don't. I'm not going to go. Like I'm not going to go to the games. Really? If You're boycotting like, well, the Eagles? No. Well, I mean, come seriously. But like, I'm going to I'm going to go all the way down to, to Philadelphia, sit in the cold, and watch them blow a 21 to six halftime lead. That's what I'm going to do with my time. No. Right. All right. So. So you you want everybody to start on Sunday? I just I just I really want a message to be sent. For the abysmal level of uh, you haven't figured out what kind of fan Justin is yet. No. no. I mean, fair fair weather one. Uh, okay. Fair weather. <laughs> I'll, you're with this. Don't disrespect me. <laughs> I'm not going to see them. They're losing. Right. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. Just because I'm, I'm at the sports desk, I guess I could be uh, alienated. I guess I could be vilified. That's fine. <laughs> Back to you, No. That's uh, Justin Alec and that's sports. All right, let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. This winter storm's got some people worried, expected to bring snow, rain, wind to the East Coast this weekend. More and 
importantly, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Forecasters not sure how much snow the system could bring. It's still kind of early, but uh, we did check in with the National Weather Service there in uh, the Hudson Valley, their chief meteorologist who covers the tri-state area. Here's what he had to say about this storm that's heading our way uh, come the weekend. A part of the system that's out in the North Pacific right now that's actually going to come across the um, the West Coast and then gradually move across the southern U.S., into the end of the week. And by Friday, it's actually going to spawn a new low pressure along the Gulf Coast, and that system is the one that's going to track across the southeast and towards the mid-Atlantic coast uh, by Saturday night, and that's the one that would eventually give us um, this precipitation chance. All right, so we asked him, how much do we know about this thing so far? And the probabilities right now are favoring a higher higher amount of wintry precipitation north and west of the city versus the city itself, but that doesn't necessarily mean the city couldn't see uh, so, some some snowfall there. It's just we don't know how much yet. It's a little too early to get specific with any uh, any amount. Yeah, I mean, it is only Wednesday. The storm expected to hit Saturday night. So it could be one of these things where it doesn't bring a whole lot of anything or it could bring a whole lot of everything. There's a lot of players that play here, and, you know, any sort of change one way uh, with the track or intensity could change, uh, you know, precipitation types or amounts. It's just a little too early to say for sure. But we do have increasing confidence that this will happen in the sense that there will be a storm system. We just don't know the, de- the specific details yet. All right, a little of course, too early. keep it here, 77 WABC, for the latest on that storm. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez in even more hot water than he's already in, facing additional federal criminal charges now. In a new superseding indictment returned Tuesday, officials accused Menendez of making positive comments about Cutter in exchange for expensive items, including luxury wristwatches. Menendez and his wife Nadine are charged with accepting cash, gold bars, and a Mercedes from three businessmen in exchange for political favors. This senator, a top Democrat and former chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, is also accused of acting as an agent for the Egyptian government. He had pleaded not guilty to all prior counts. I'm Mark Mayfield. Death toll continues to rise in Japan after that powerful magnitude 7.6 earthquake hit western Japan on New Year's Day. NBC News' Megan Fitzgerald says there's a lot of destruction. Homes and buildings flattened, private roads and streets buckled, some neighbors returning to their home to get a first look at what the devastation looks like for them. More than 100 aftershocks have already been recorded in response to Monday's quake. Thousands of buildings damaged, officials warning of more quakes possibly to come, and that death toll to go higher than 55 where it sits right now. Officials say this really is a race against time for crews that are digging through the rubble trying to find survivors. And while we're overseas, Israel following through on its promise to withdraw several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. Some of those troops already been brought home in the last 24 hours. The biggest withdrawal since the war began after Hamas's terror attacks inside Israel on October 7th, which killed 1,200 people and captured more than 200 hostages. Correspondent Matt Bradley there says the IDF made the announcement noting that the nearly three-month war has taken just a growing toll on the Israeli economy. According to the United Nations, more than 85% of Gaza's residents have been displaced from their homes, and the fighting has left more than 20,000 dead. Nearly 22,000 Palestinians killed, according to the Hamas-run Ministry of Health in the Gaza Strip, most of them civilians. We're now seeing conflicts between the United States and Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. 
Yeah, and that conflict, of course, going into the northern part of Israel, too, as uh, troops have been stationed there. And then, of course, that continues to play out here in the United States, this war overseas. The latest thing, Jewish worshipers California on guard after dozens of synagogues received threats yesterday. In San Diego alone, six synagogues threatened with bomb threats after someone sent messages which read a bomb was hidden in those buildings. Heidi Gatwork is the CEO of the Jewish Federation of San Diego. I wish I could say I was shocked by it. I, I'm not, and, and this has been ongoing for some time, and the Jewish community has been living with these sorts of, really what I would call emotional terrorism. Uh, thankfully, nothing to these bomb threats, but of course the authorities have to check them out. And while most of these are hoaxes, and we know that, we take these things seriously. We have an infrastructure to assure the security of the community, and we'll continue to make those investments. And it's frustrating for authority. It's almost impossible to catch the people behind these threats. It's all, most of it's done online. Uh, members of a migrant caravan clinging to the side of a train yesterday, nicknamed the Beast, which is making its way towards the Texas border town of El Paso. In El Paso, they say they're ready for this influx. Uh, they'll be able to handle them. We're able to take care of it. You know, I understand that there may be more folks coming, but I believe that we're going to be okay. And apparently this group trying to arrive in Texas before this controversial law goes into effect. It allows cops to arrest anyone they think crossed the border illegally. It's already facing a bunch of legal challenges from the Biden White House. We're not at capacity right now. And if we need to flex, we can house up to 2,200 people a night with all the capacity that we have. If the caravan is really big, you know, we may have to work with some of our counterparts on the other side of the border to make sure that they're taken care of before they get in line and come across. All right, let's bring it back home. New York City tourists hoping to purchase a souvenir or two along the Brooklyn Bridge will now have to seek options elsewhere. I mean, maybe you've seen just tons of tables on the Brooklyn Bridge. has been that way for years. Beginning today, enforcement goes to effect to clear the heavily packed pedestrian walkway on the Brooklyn Bridge, where these vendors are usually posted selling tourists of all kinds of items to remember their visit over the bridge. We need order in the city. Um, that is one of our major landmarks. Mayor Adams says the span and the base of the bridge don't need any of these uh, vendors at all. We need order in the oh, city. Just said that. Um, that is one of our major landmarks. So for some tourists, the iconic span is a staple for visitors, and they like having the tchotchkes there that they can buy. It's crowded, but I guess for us, because we're not from here, it's part of the experience. I mean, we expect to see the vendors and the good deals, and these people are trying to make a living. Now, most of these vendors, they're actually licensed. Some are disabled veterans, like this licensed vendor who says that it has become a little chaotic on the bridge. It's a free fall, you know. Certain people pay paid the price to be here to do this, you know, certificates of authority, you know, EIN numbers, you know, taxes and things like that. And, uh, you know, other people, they just do what they want to do. So it makes guys like me just not even want to play the game. So there are vendors, of course, who say they make a bundle of money being on the Brooklyn Bridge, such an iconic site. So many tourists come there, and so they're upset that they're being pushed out. It's not going to be hard to find another spot. The effort the city's putting into this, the resources can be put towards something else. Like, let's get the subway correct. Yeah, so the city council is considering a bill that would allow some of them to return and stay 20 feet apart. That would make them few and far between if that's approved and enforced. But for right now, they're all being pushed off the bridge. And finally, a good ending to this story we were watching yesterday. An 11-year-old boy was somehow able to walk out of his Brooklyn school, autistic kid, 
um, was then be able to get onto an LIRR train, and he was found in Long Island. And uh, there was just, you can imagine, panic at this school as they realized this kid had escaped. I'm going to text it to some of my friends who will be all over the place in Brooklyn and ask them to text it to other people so they can find him quicker. You know what I mean? Because I have an autistic grandson, and they're really smart. But he can't talk. He can't explain to people where he needs to be. Anybody see this young kid, just make sure you all take the picture and you try to contact somebody he cannot talk yeah so they did a good job of getting the notice out that this kid was missing how he got on liwr train and took it out to nassau county we don't know but malvern police department thank god they found him 3 30 yesterday afternoon and he was okay now an investigation into how he was able to get out of the school on his own is underway